it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Kilmeade Show, we got Mike Waltz at the bottom of the hour, the congressman, former Green Beret guy, House Armed Services Committee, former senior advisor uh, to Cheney. Uh, but keep in mind, too, the congressman also is going to have a chance to speak to General Milley today. Uh, because uh, it's time for the Armed Services Committee to have a chance to talk to them about how this Ukraine war is going. Uh, and uh, it, for the Ukrainians, they just need help, and we're not getting it to them. Uh, also, keep in mind, if you ever want to get the podcast, com, so you can download it on your schedule. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Texas is providing charter buses to send... These illegal immigrants who have been dropped off by the Biden administration to Washington, D.C. We are sending them to the United States Capitol where the Biden administration will be able to more immediately address the needs of the people that they are allowing to come across our border. How amazing is that? Governor Abbott taking action. That's what two of America's finest governors are doing to the broken border. It's leaking illegal immigrants and deadly drugs. This is this uh, with an evaporation of Title 42 promising in May. This will be an outright invasion. We'll tell you what DeSantis and Abbott plan on doing about it. Number two. Do we know what the president might have gotten in return for doing a favor like that? Again, I have no confirmation of any recommendation letter the president wrote when he was a private citizen, by the way, not uh, serving in public office. That's even the report. Hunter hijinks. Uh, By the way, Jen Psaki referring to the fact that another letter turned up that Vice President, former Vice President Biden, now President Biden, wrote for a business associate of Hunter Biden. You know, the you know, the businesses they never talks to Hunter about. Think of that laptop from hell. You think that's bad? It looks like they found thousands of deleted images and emails on that same hard drive. And they're in Switzerland is the guy with it digging it up as Saki and friends scramble to keep Biden's sinister son's shady dealings from the president's resume. Too late. Number one. Right now, what Ukraine needs is assistance in the east, obviously, in the, where the fight is going to be, be shifting, and also uh, in the south to protect Odessa. And that means more weapon systems and more advanced weapon systems, like multiple launch rocket systems and, and anti-ship missiles. Reporting uh, from NBC, moving southeast. That's what the Russian forces are doing. Question, what are we in the west doing to arm the Ukrainians to defeat Putin? Our generation's Hitler, our homicidal, homicidal maniac. And why are we okay with this being a long war? You hear this new buzz term? Oh, yeah, this is going to go on for years. It's going to go on for months, years. Excuse me? Months, years. General Milley told us Ukraine is going to lose in 72 hours and lose 15,000 men. All right. Uh, Intelligence officials said roughly they'll lose in 96 hours. Milley has been going, been wrong for years and years and years. He has no idea of the troop quality of the Ukrainians. Now, you and I don't know. We weren't in Ukraine, probably. And we never train troops, more than likely. Although I do have a big military audience, thankfully. But they should know. Just like Mark Milley had no idea that Afghanistan, well, the Afghanistan troops were going to stay and fight for at least six, seven months. They, uh, they lasted a very little time, mainly because he underestimated what it would be like if he pulled out all the American troops 
and air cover for months and then said, we're leaving. And the Taliban let them know, if you lay down your weapons, you might live. They lied. But Milley couldn't even anticipate that. And we were there for 20 years. We have the worst military leadership. The Secretary of Defense is invisible. I never feel better after listening to him talk. And then you have a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley. We deserve better. There's plenty of great officers in there. You put McChrystal, you put Petraeus, you, add, you beg General Jack Keane to come back. That's if you cared about the country and less about party. But you kicked General Jack Keane off your advisory committee, which he's probably the smartest military guy in our country right now. So where are we at? As the Russians are retreating, for now, maybe forever, from Kiev, we're seeing the carnage. We're seeing children buried with their little hands sticking out of the dirt. We see a mayor and her family all dead, shot point-blank range with their arms tied behind their back. And then we see thousands of people just blown up inside apartment buildings and hospitals. So this is as bad as it gets. This is, you know, all those stuff that we learned in history, probably 11th grade, World War II, I think, uh, was heavy emphasis. We always say, how could that happen? How do, how do we let Hitler gradually just kill everybody? Not only Jews, but everybody. What could he did as he invaded Czech to the, uh, Czechoslovakia and Poland? How could we let that happen? How do we let Stalin kill millions of people? How did, how did that happen? Now we're watching it happen again. Only this time we have video in real time, satellite images, but we're not allowing the Ukrainians. I'm not asking you to train them. We did that. Ukrainians, the weapons that will allow them to de- further destroy the Russian army and the myth in which they were. President Zelensky, cut one. This package sounds good, but it is not enough. Still, it can be hardly called comparable to the evil that the world saw in Bucha, with evil that goes on in Mariupol, with the shelling of Kharkiv, and with Russia's attempt to launch a new bloody global offensive in the Donbas region. Obviously through a translator. So we're still playing on the edges. On the ground, we need to prepare for the long haul, says the head of NATO. Really? He also uh, says all member nations to not only strengthen their economic sanctions on Moscow, but to increase the amount of military support. Yeah, we can get them tanks, we can get them planes, and we can get them these, uh, these shoulder-launching missiles to blow up the ships that are bombing these cities. So Central European members like Poland and the Baltic nations have totally cut off from Moscow any energy production, any energy purchases. Hungary is disappointing me big time. They're buying Russian gas and oil, and they're doing it in rubles to help their economy. That's sinful. Expect more from them. Next, you have us sanctioning more and more banks. But we are not touching any banks that's doing some big-time financing on any energy stocks or energy companies in Russia. Think about that. So Russia is able to get $1.2 billion a day from their oil sales. We're providing some of that because we don't want to hurt the energy sector there. It might raise up some prices there, I guess. We have expelled 400 Russian diplomats from Western uh, capitals. Obviously, that's okay. Zelensky says he must he says all the West must reject all Russian oil and completely block Russian banks from the international finance system. That's if we if we're okay if we're okay with women and children dying uh, while biking or while uh, I don't know uh, going uh, living in their apartment buildings. Then okay, take your time on the sanctions. But you have President Obama who didn't even want to ban Russian oil and gas. It was Nancy Pelosi when asked that question. Why are we importing any Russian oil and gas? He said, no, let's ban it. And then the White House called and said, can you stop that? Don't say that again because I'm not ready to do that yet. And she says, no, 
I'm, I'm saying it. I'm sticking with it. I am not walking it back. Congress has pushed them to act. NATO has pushed President Biden to act. I really resent the fact that he does not want us to be, like President Obama, leaders on the world stage. Just real quick, I want you to hear one thing that I agree with Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis on. Uh, he was on with Laura last night. He obviously thinks that we should be putting our money elsewhere, but said this, cut four. We need to look out for the primary interest of the United States and our security and our prosperity going forward. And that does not include extending the war out as long as possible. It, ex- it involves helping the Ukrainian people defend themselves. And we've done so much of that. But we need to be working to help get this to a result resolution. Yeah. Uh, so the U.S. will sanction will hit a uh, uh, spur bank which holds one-third of Russia's total banking assets, and Alpha Bank, the country's first largest financial bank. Uh, but energy transactions, not going to happen. Uh, they're also walking a tightrope on Russian supplies. Around Here's what your, the EU says. Uh, right, They get about 40% of their natural gas, the European Union's, which I think is 27 nations, on gas, uh, gas consumption is from Russia. And the bloc also gets a third of its oil imports from Russia, mostly Germany. That's 700 million per day coming from people who love to dethrone Russia, reel them back in and get them the hell out of Ukraine. So let's pivot if we can. You know, it's been a disaster at the border, a disaster which I hope Democrats will pay dearly for at the midterms, not just to win elections. That's one thing, but to teach them a lesson that the American people, Democrats and Republicans, want their border enforced. Immigration system reform, but can't until the borders reformed. Absolutely. We need a workforce. We need worker, uh, work visas. Let's do it. We need uh, the first-round draft picks in Stanford uh, and other places to have a chance to stay here, maybe first, because they can help us the most. I'm fine with that. Let's debate that, but not until you enforce the border. So Greg Abbott knows with the evaporation of Title 42 on May 23rd, Greg Abbott knows that now they're going to get hit by, get this, 18,000 a day. You gotta believe this. Right now, we're getting seven thousand people crossing illegally a day. That number is going to be going up to eighteen thousand estimated, probably worth a day, coming through the Texas area alone. Just Texas, not counting New Mexico, Arizona, and California. So Greg Abbott has an idea, and it's for the illegals. When they come, they're not gonna stay. Cut ten. To help local officials whose communities are being overwhelmed by hordes of illegal immigrants who are being dropped off by the Biden administration. Texas is providing charter buses to send these illegal immigrants who have been dropped off by the Biden administration to Washington, D.C. We are sending them to the United States Capitol, where the Biden administration will be able to more immediately address the needs of the people that they are allowing to come across our border. Exactly. Charter buses, he's got 900 ready to go. It's costing Texas zillions of dollars to put the Texas Rangers at the border, National Guard at the border, build their own wall, because the federal government is uh, doing a dereliction of duty uh, exercise now. They're going to conduct safety inspections on vehicles as they cross international ports of entry. They've got to do it themselves. Charter buses and flights will transport migrants who have been processed and released from federal custody to Washington, D.C. That's the Texas plan. Of course, Beto O'Rourke running against Governor Abbott says you can always count on Abbott to choose stunts over solutions. Rolling Stone magazine, Greg Abbott stakes claim on most evil governor in America with plans to bus immigrants to Washington. Why? If it's such a great idea to take illegals, give them cell phones. Did anyone give you a cell phone today? Give them cell phones and then send them to any city they want. 
Why not just say you're in Texas, you snuck in illegally, go to Washington and explain yourself, knock on the, the door of the White House. Governor DeSantis got a better idea. Cut 14. What we're doing in Florida is saying, you know, we're not going to let the recklessness of those policies um, impact our state. So we do not, if businesses or contractors are dumping people who are illegal into Florida from southern Texas, you know, we're going to go after their ability to do business in Florida. If Biden is dumping people, which he has dumped people, they fly them in at 2 in the morning. They haven't done it lately, but they did it many months ago. Um, you know, we now have money where we can reroute them to sanctuary states like Delaware, and we're going to do that to make sure that we're keeping them safe here. Dump them right in Delaware. They might be great people. That's not the way you come into our country. There might be great people going to break into your house today. There might be this fantastic person with great values who's going to carjack you or just walk in and steal your car. I, as soon as you break into this country, I don't care what your story is, there's an asylum process apply in your country. And I think we should bulk up all our embassies and consulates to make sure we handle this because people in bad situations that we can help, we got room. We just got to process the right way. And don't want anyone marginalize you who feel the way you, I just reiterated to you. Because and say, well, you don't like Hispanics or you don't like poor people. No, nothing to do with that. Just do it the right way. And lastly, on Title 42, this is what gives me hope. Uh, five Democrats and six Republican senators will introduce a new bill today that will prevent President Biden from lifting Title 42 without a detailed plan to place uh, in place to stop an expected surge of migrants at the border. That, according to Axios. Good job. Kirsten Sinema and Senator James Lankford are leading the charge. KRMG, you know him well. So that's our great station over in Oklahoma, in Tulsa. So listen, you need Democrats who care about the country before worried about their party to do this. They all should be signed on to this. And they should take a leadership role like Senator Cinema, not Mark Kelly. For some reason, the guy's got the courage to set endurance records in space, but he doesn't have the courage to stand up for issues like this. When we come back, I'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. You're not going to believe the twist on the Hunter story. I can't believe it. I read it three times. That story coming your way. And then we'll have Mike Waltz on, expand what we need to do to pressure the Biden administration to do the right thing in Ukraine. And we'll take your calls next, one 866 408 Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Bidens knew exactly who they were dealing with. Of course, uh, Joe Biden met with Devin Archer, who's now a convicted felon, in the White House uh, days before he went to Ukraine, was, was uh, named the point person for Ukraine. A day later, Devin Archer is named the Board of Burisma. A couple weeks later, uh, Archer... I mean, Hunter is uh, named the board of Burisma. In between that, the owner of Burisma has $23 million of his assets seized in London. So it's just amazing, the coincidence here. Uh, Like I say, this is sleazy. This is corrupt. 
And the fact that uh, Joe Biden as president canceled the sanctions on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, the fact that he canceled that China initiative, certainly makes you suspicious that something's going on here. No kidding. Senator Ron Johnson has been a lone wolf on this. Now it's Senator Grassley and so many others saying the Hunter Biden laptop is real. It is really uh, not only that, it's really important to find out what other international deals Hunter Biden was involved with as an indictment looms. But guess what came out yesterday? This whistleblower who evidently got the laptop from uh, along with Rudy, from Rudy Giuliani, uh, this guy, Maxi. So his name is Jack Maxey. I uh, gave the Daily Mail a, a copy of it back in 2020 in the spring. First time we really heard of this was October of 2020. Prior to the election, no one, everyone put it on the shelf. They said it was Russia different information, 51 intel agencies, uh, experts from uh, Leon Panetta, former CIA director, to John Brennan, uh, to uh, Mike Morrell. All said, this looks like typical Russian disinformation. We all knew it was true. All you'd do is call other people on the other end of the email and see if they would say it was him or her, and that would be it. Meanwhile, there's 12 different incidents showing that Joe Biden knew different times to prove that Joe Biden knew exactly what Hunter Biden was up to with his business dealings. I don't want to digress. So here's the story Joe, uh, Jack Maxey has. He left the country. He said, I came here, meaning Switzerland, so that I could do forensic examination of Hunter's laptop safely in a country that still respects human liberty and the ideals of liberal democratic principles. I do not believe this would have been possible in the United States. We had numerous attempts on us from trying to do things like this. So what is he talking about? Turns out that laptop still needs to be examined, that laptop from hell. But they found thousands of emails and images of uh, stuff that's been deleted off the laptop, but not totally deleted off the hard drive. So if all this horrendous stuff of uh, hookers and crack and these uh, maybe worse, I haven't seen all of it, and emails that reveal the inner workings of this Biden family and the crack use of Hunter Biden, can you imagine what they deleted? So now this guy, in order to find out what happened? He's got to leave Switzerland, work on it, and he's going to submit it. The work, the worst could be yet to come uh, for the President of the United States. And Jen Psaki saying that really has nothing to do with us and the recommendation letter to the Chinese, to the daughter and son of this Chinese official who is a CEFC energy company, which is uh, affiliated with the Chinese government, which guess who has as a partner? Hunter Biden. You're going to tell me these stories never came up when it was Joe Biden. Joe Biden, who is working for, uh, who is writing a recommendation letter to Brown, to Georgetown, to NYU, and Cornell to try to get into an American college. But I know nothing about your business relationship. Remember the New Yorker magazine when he said, son, I hope you know what you're doing? That's important. When we come back, I know one guy knows what he's doing. Congressman Michael Waltz. Next. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Right now, what Ukraine needs is assistance in the east, obviously in the, where the fight is going to be, be shifting, and also uh, in the south to protect Odessa. And that means more weapon systems and more advanced weapon systems like multiple launch rocket systems and, and, and anti-ship missiles. So we have to, you know, we have to, you know, keep the consistent flow of, of of, weapon, of arms, what, what what has been going on, and 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 perhaps some more advanced weapons. I'm not sure if we have actually reached that sweet spot of maximum economic and military pressure. You know that doesn't go enough, which cause causes serious escalation. I think we can do more, and I, and I come back each time to a famous engagement in 2018, where members of the Joint Special Operations Command, the U.S. military, killed 300 Wagner mercenaries from Russia. Former Secretary of Defense Mattis. In testimony, you know, he said something that was extraordinary. He said he gave the order to annihilate them. Um, and guess what? The Russian response was nothing. So I think we can do more. We have to be very cognizant of, of you know, of escalation. But but the Ukrainians are depending on us. And, and this is, you know, this is the great fight of our time right now. Former CIA field officer Mark Polymoris and Poliporis. And he was talking about escalation, the big worry. I am so tired of hearing about escalation worries. Look at what Russia's done. They're killing children, toddlers, women, 50-year-old mayors, people, kids on bicycles, uh, civilians they're aiming for because they can't handle the Ukrainian troops. All we're worried about is escalating. Can someone tell the Russians to worry about escalating? They did the invasion. They are throwing all uh, modern-day war rules out the window, and we're worried about escalation. That is President Biden evidently overruling everybody on the MiGs, including some in his own staff. Joining me now is uh, Mark Waltz, uh, Michael Waltz, Congressman uh, Michael Waltz of uh, of Florida. Got a brand new book out called uh, Dawn of the Brave, which teaches kids the importance of service. All April subscription proceeds of the book will be going to Samaritan's Purse for their work in the Ukraine. Congressman, welcome back. Hey, thanks so much, Brian. And uh, to get that book, you have to go to bravebooks.com. Okay. Uh, it is not available on Amazon, or repeat, not available on Amazon. And it's a subscription, Brian. So what we're excited about each month, the kids will get a new book focused on family, faith, in the case of mine, uh, serving your country. You know, we got to take our kids' education back. Uh, we're, we're seeing what's happening with Disney. We saw what happened in Virginia. Uh, COVID exposed the garbage that's being taught. Well, let's do something about it, be part of the solution, and get great content into our uh, into our kids' minds at an early age. And it's uh, – uh, again, bravebooks.com, but thanks for mentioning it. No problem. Uh, so as they start uh, roving, uh, taking the cover off Kiev and the surrounding suburbs and move back to consolidate in the south and east, first off, what it revealed to you, a guy that's seen war up close because you fight in them, what have you seen from that satellite footage in the up close video that may even shocked Mike Waltz? You know, this is, sadly, Brian, this, this hasn't shocked me. Uh, they did this in Syria. They did this in Chechnya. They did it in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, they, the Russians disguised lands as toys so that kids would pick them up to terrorize families. Uh, and uh, they make up for their incompetence uh, by just leveling cities. The thing that has uh, somewhat started to shock me are reports coming out of mobile crematoriums. Uh, sound familiar? So, I think your description is absolutely right. This is a rolling, moving Holocaust, modern Holocaust, uh, where we have a great power seeking to exterminate an entire people. Uh, And uh, it's going to continue, Brian. 
Uh, and you're absolutely right. Every time we tell the Russians what we won't do, every time we talk about fears of escalation, then um, that we give Putin more space to commit more atrocities. We uh, there's video that uh, there, that show, and there, excuse me, there's transcripts that the Germans are able to pick up that shows how the Russians are communicating with each other and mocking the fact that they were shooting people off their bicycles and intentionally bombing civilian apartment buildings. So when they came up with that farcical statement yesterday from the Kremlin saying that these are actors and made-up images or the Ukrainians did that themselves, like they shot their own people, uh, that this time you have satellite images to prove, the, and you have the transcriptions that match the satellite images. How important is it to keep that stuff together and keep putting that out? Yeah, so this is the difference uh, with the atrocities they committed in Syria, Chechnya, and in the past, uh, is, is, you know, it's a modern information age, uh, and we have all of that evidence, and we absolutely have to keep pumping it out. The thing that Zelensky absolutely is winning and Putin is absolutely losing is this information war. Uh, and, and the next level, and this is what we keep pressing the Pentagon and the intelligence agencies on, is getting that into the Russian people, getting it into the Russian heartland, uh, defeating the Russian firewalls, uh, and, and pressing that information war on offense. And then secondly, Brian, the other thing I'm tired of hearing is, well, this war may drag out. Uh, we're hearing that now from Milley. We're hearing it from the president. Yeah, what is and that's that? Because, that's because their version of victory is getting Putin and Zelensky to the negotiating table, uh, which means the war will settle down into trench warfare like it did in 2014 under the Obama administration, allowing Putin every six years to take another chunk uh, out, of a, out of a neighboring country is not success. Success is giving Zelensky and the Ukrainian army everything they need to drive the Russians back, drive them out of Crimea, drive them out of the Donbass, and restore Ukrainian sovereignty and borders, and sending that message uh, to Z, uh, to Kim Jong-un, to the Iranians and everyone and everywhere else. A tie is not victory when it comes to these Russian atrocities and what they're doing. A victory is helping uh, Zelensky drive the Russians out of Ukraine. Uh, and that means more sophisticated weapons. It means a systematic training program uh, in in neighboring countries, uh, and it means it, we're seeing these sanctions now come into a place uh, that Biden announced yesterday. Why weren't they in place from the beginning? Why weren't the heck? Why weren't they in place six months ago? Uh, if we're just now going after Putin's family, just now going after banks, uh, and by the way, the sanctions they just announced yesterday still have exemptions for the energy sector. So when are we really going to get serious about choking off the Russian economy? When are we going to put secondary sanctions on Chinese firms that are the back door to all of this? Uh, and when are we going to really pressure the, uh, the Europeans that are still buying 150 billion cubic meters of Russian gas per day, uh, excuse me, per year? But, uh, I mean, uh, that's a lot of money still flowing through uh, Moscow's coffers and into their war machine. Oh, no kidding. So a couple of things on that. As uh, the Washington Post chronicled today how we got where we are today, and they tried to compliment Joe Biden, but they couldn't do it. Uh, and many times they, they tried to summarize, but their summaries are wrong. Fact, it was Nancy Pelosi when asked why are we still buying Russian oil, he, she said, stop it. And the administration called up and says, no, no, we don't want to do that. And she says, no, yeah. I'm leaving that out there. Nancy Pelosi. And remember, it was when, right. she, when, when Congress got addressed on that Saturday 
uh, on that Saturday by Zelensky himself, and he described situations on the ground, the success they're having and what they needed. That forced stricter sanctions and Joe Biden to take action over and over again. And it was the Germans who were the ones who said, we have changed our position. We are going to send lethal weapons uh, in through our country, and we're going to start moving away from Russian gas and oil. And you know, to their credit, to a degree, they have begun to really move that. But it's tough when so much of it comes from Russia. Yeah. So I'm going to be well, marginally critical. Way, so other people have moved first before us again. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And it was the Germans who moved first on Nord Stream. That's true. Uh, after the administration actively lobbied in the Senate uh, to kill the sanctions bill then. So it was the Germans that moved first on that. Look, this is, Brian, this is one of the times uh, in my time in Congress where I'm actually proud of Congress. Uh, Republicans and Democrats last year on a trip I made to Ukraine were demanding sanctions to be in place back then. We're demanding that they had stingers uh, uh, back then. Uh, we just had the NATO commander in a hearing and General Milley admit that uh, if the Ukrainians had had stingers on day one, uh, they would be in a much better position. Instead, they didn't start flowing until a week after the invasion. Uh, so it has been Congress that has drugged this administration along. But you're right. Uh, now that the Ukrainians are seeing success uh, and we're finally got the arms moving, the mainstream media wants to pat the administration on the back and the administration wants to start taking a victory lap. The problem is, Brian, is deterrence failed. Uh, the administration's uh, economic and diplomatic deterrence strategy failed. And if they don't learn the lessons from that, we're going to repeat it when it comes to Taiwan. And I got to be honest with you, if Taipei is leveled, uh, the entire world is cut off from advanced uh, semiconductors and, and, micro and microchips, uh, and China now controls 50 percent of the world's economy, if they take Taiwan, getting tough after the fact is not an effective strategy. And my fear is the mainstream media's, you know, lauding Biden's toughness belatedly is going to reinforce the fact that it was going to reinforce this failed deterrent strategy. Yeah, a couple of things. Number one, what I'm heartened by is it's not it's not Michael Walton, Lindsey Graham on a limb, wondering where yeah. wishing John McCain was around. This is now <laughs> I have a lot. I see a lot of Democrats who will really want to do more, and maybe they don't understand how close we are to really defanging this Russian bear and stopping a war in five years, another one in ten years, another one in fifteen That's years. Right. They, maybe they don't see it, but they are seeing, hearing Zelensky, and their people are keep watching the, that television and seeing these people buried alive, being being executed. We're seeing the bodies on television, and they're forcing him to do more. And also on the Iranian deal, yesterday, a bipartisan press conference said you want to make sure that there is a vote on any deal that they cut. With the Iranians, and I'm seeing Gottheimer and other Democrats saying, I need to sign off on this. So I'm seeing some bipartisanship. Am I being deceived? No, no, you're not. Uh, We'll see when it comes time to actually vote. Uh, But a lot of these are are more moderate Democrats. They see the world uh, being set on fire, uh, and they also see that their seats. Uh, are, are under real threat <laughs> in an election year. So I hope their votes match the tough rhetoric. But it is uh, bipartisan in many ways that are pushing on Ukraine, pushing on Iran, and pushing on Taiwan. Uh, and you know the, the Chinese just came out today and threatened P- Speaker Pelosi uh, against coming to Taiwan. I hope she does it, uh, and I hope she plants a flag of support for the Taiwanese. Uh, 
So it is Congress, in this case, pushing this administration. But still, Brian, I fear that this administration is going to give Zelensky just enough uh, so that this settles into a stalemate. Uh, And if we allow Putin to declare victory for taking a bigger chunk of Ukraine this time, you're going to see him back in five to six years. uh, And he is going to keep taking more and more and more. It's just going to take him longer uh, than he planned. And the signal that sends uh, to Chairman Z is that you can get away with Mm. this if you just do it the right way. So Ukraine is uh, bracing for renewed uh, Russian offensive on the eastern front, I guess, south. Two. Yeah. Uh, so what they need is to be able to stop these ships from bombing them from the from the ocean, from the Black Sea. And what is right. wrong with getting them harpoons? Is there anybody in the administration that a Michael <laughs> Waltz can go to and say, here it is, give them to them. Who cares if they look at his escalatory? They're going to do that anyway. What they've yeah. already done is uh, far beyond any of our comprehension and start getting the, those MIGs in movement. Don't make it a big announcement and start giving them the tanks that they asked for. Is there any way you think there's any sympathy in the administration for that school of thought? So we pressed uh, the commander of NATO uh, on this. Uh, We are being assured that actually uh, the Ukrainians will receive a British uh, uh, anti-ship system, uh, but we could not nail them down on a timeline. Uh, we are also uh, assured that the S-300 uh, will, uh, will move into Ukraine. Uh, I don't want to list the country yet because the negotiations are ongoing. The issue is getting them backfilled with patriots. And, I, you know, the, again, the position from Congress on both sides is let's accept some, accept some risk, give them one of our systems now, uh, and, and get so that that country then has its own air defense and get the S-300 in there. Uh, we'll continue to push, Brian, but it is uh, it's really unbelievable. And the other thing is the training. The training has to go along with these more advanced systems, and we're getting very mixed messages. The NATO commander says we're not doing it. Secretary Austin <sighs> says we are doing it. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll continue to push, brother. But um, I would ask you, who is a more effective leader of the free world right now of freedom and democracy and liberty Zelensky or Biden? Like, Zelensky who has got a it's, clear, yes. a clear message of what needs to be done, a clear message of victory that he would rather die on his feet than surrender on his knees, uh, and not letting fear of Putin drive his policy. And I think it absolutely is Zelensky. And Zelensky challenged uh, in his speech to Congress, you know, challenged Biden to step up and not just be the leader of America, be the leader of the free world. Yeah, and and he's forcing everybody to take notice. And I just think the guys that get it, the people that get it most are Eastern Europeans. They're threatened, yep. and they are also the toughest. So, uh, and my my as as uh, Donald Rumsfeld called them, the New Europe. So let's That's hope right. let's New hope York we. You know how quick we got patriots into Saudi Arabia. You know how quick we got patriots into Poland. We can't get them into Bulgaria and these other nations, so they can give them the S three hundreds. Do they do they see these vid- the video of these dead families? Yeah. And doesn't and doesn't mobile, that... mobile crematoriums? Yeah, uh, and now we have they had them in Syria. Mobile crematoriums. So That's how right. do you solve the problem of Russian mothers seeing that their dead bodies of their of their, of their sons coming back? Burn them in the uh, at war. And just say they're missing. And that's, that's well, how that's heartless they are. That's how you solve the problem of mass graves that you can spot with satellite imagery. Uh, I mean, if this doesn't sound like a modern-day Holocaust, I don't know what is, uh, with, with the exception of what the Chinese are very quietly doing uh, to the Uyghurs.
Absolutely. Uh, so it, it's um, it, you know, evil still exists. Hard power still matters. These dictators will push until they make, right. meet steel. Uh, and once you let a country – this is a lesson for Iran. Once you let a country operate under a nuclear umbrella, uh, that completely changes the games of your options right. against them. All right. Uh, and this is why we absolutely cannot let the Iranian regime have a nuke. That kid's book, uh, Dawn of the Brave, where do we get it? Bravebooks.com, Brian. Bravebooks.com. And okay. uh, proceeds are going to Samaritan's Purse. Thanks go, so much. Go get him, Congressman Michael Waltz. Appreciate Bye, it. brother. Your call's next, one 408 Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Science now say a chemical compound found in broccoli and other leafy greens has been shown to slow the growth of COVID-19 as well as common cold viruses. I cannot wait to take on the world armed with this new information that vegetables are good for you. <laughs> Is that all we got? That's good. But isn't it crazy that we used to be able to pull, like... Five ten minutes from the from the Sunday from the daily monologues on late night. They're good. They're good. Um, but they these are the best from Corden. And I mean that one was the funniest of the ones I pulled. They're still more entertaining than anyone else. Uh, no question. Uh, real quick, Andy WHIO, uh, what's on your mind? Yeah. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Just wanted to express some concern about the uh, lack of support that this administration has given the Ukraine. I'm afraid that if we don't start supplying them with some weapons, that inevitably at some point boots are going to be on the ground from U.S. troops, whether that's in Ukraine or whether that's in a NATO nation. Hey, Andy, I hear you. It might not be in this conflict, but two or three years down the line, the next time they go for Estonia... Latvia, Lithuania, claiming there are Russian-speaking people that really don't like the Democratic government, who they've been hacking anyway. I hear you, Andy. That's why they got the Russians got to fall here. Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 866 We're heard coming to you from New York City, 48th and 6th, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, with me in studio, if you're watching Fox Nation, you recognize him for being in the news constantly over the, over the last four years. Uh, William Barr, a former U.S. Attorney uh, General, author of the number one New York Times bestseller, One Damn Thing After Another. Congratulations, Bill. Three weeks in a row as number one. You dropped to number five. We're going to change that okay, this good. hour. That's why I'm here, Brian. Right. <laughs> Wait a second. I thought you wanted to talk to me again. Yeah. You using me? Well, you know, it'll be a byproduct of our conversation. Understanding. <laughs> oh, I, really, I really unnerved you for a second. <laughs> yeah. That's it's something the, uh, the Democrats weren't able to do. All right, before we get to Bill, and we're going to talk for a while, and we'll, uh, maybe we think we could take some phone calls, maybe? Maybe we'll see. Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. 
Texas is providing charter buses to send these illegal immigrants who have been dropped off by the Biden administration to Washington, D.C. We are sending them to the United States Capitol where the Biden administration will be able to more immediately address the needs of the people that they are allowing to come across our border. Uh, that was Greg Abbott taking action on what is about to happen in May, and that's the good night, the evaporation of Title 42. Get this. They're getting 7,000 people a day coming across the border in Texas. It's going to escalate to 18,000. What he and Governor DeSantis is doing about it, you'll find fascinating. I love it. Number two. Do we know what the president might have gotten in return for doing a favor like that? Again, I have no confirmation of any recommendation letter the president wrote when he was a private citizen, by the way, not uh, serving in public office. That's even the report. Yeah, the Hunter hijinks. Think the laptop from hell, as we know it, is pretty bad. Looks like they found thousands of deleted images and emails. Can you imagine things that had to be deleted from that laptop as uh, Saki and friends scrambled to keep Biden's sinister son shady dealings from the president's resume? Uh, too late. Number one. Right now, what Ukraine needs is assistance in the east, obviously, in the, where the fight is going to be, be shifting, and also uh, in the south to protect Odessa. And that means more weapon systems and more advanced weapon systems, like multiple launch rocket systems and, and, and anti-ship missiles. You think so? Moving southeast. That's what the Russian forces are doing. Question, what are we in the west doing to arm the Ukrainians to defeat Putin? Our generation's Hitler, our homicidal maniac. And why are we okay with this being a long war all of a sudden? Bill Barr joins me right now. And, Bill, what I've got from reading your book is not just your years with Trump and Bush, but what I got from reading your book is, you know, growing up in in New York City, you originally wanted to be a CIA guy, working your way up as a lawyer, and you were heading towards the intelligence area, and then you, you pivoted over. But you really have a diverse background and a lot of foreign policy knowledge and experience. Right. And I was on the National Security Council. The attorney general was uh, both times I was attorney general. So. so no one has to explain to you the significance of Ukraine. If I was to tell you six weeks ago that when the invasion was about to happen, that the Ukrainians would be fighting and winning in almost every battle in which they fight military to military, and that they'd be, on the, they'd be possible to take down the Russian bear, what would you have told me? I would have been shocked, you know, based on what we were hearing from our own intelligence agencies, that it was going to be over in 24 hours, 48 hours, and so forth. Uh, but it's been remarkable and inspiring. But the fundamental mistake that was made, and this is the fundamental mistake, is that when Biden came into power, he didn't start arming the Ukrainians then. That would have deterred the attack. I heard he turned some sh- uh, shipments around mm-hmm. that were en route there. And right. can you think about what's left in Afghanistan? Right. How that could have helped? Right, right. I mean, those weapons, other weapons, uh, anti-tank weapons, uh, weapons that would help him uh, control the sky, uh, Putin would have had to think twice. So when you talk about intelligence, uh, Mark Milley said Ukraine would fall in 72 hours right. and they would lose 15,000 people. Uh, Milley also said now, yesterday, oh, this war could go on for years. Really? Go on for years. There's going to be no women and children left. I mean, you saw what's happened. This is in our lifetime, something we never thought we would allow. And then intelligence officials on the average said Ukraine is lucky to last 96 hours. How could we be so wrong again? Right. I'm very skeptical this will go on for years. In fact, if the sanctions are worth anything. What do you think? Are they they worth? Well, they have to start biting. And if they don't, we have to pile, pile on more sanctions. But... 
there's going to be a limit to how much the military, the Russian military can take and how much resources they have. They can't have a sustained offensive going on in that country for years. Their, their country will not sustain it. You know, um, Brad Velikovich, who's on the ground there, fought uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq and now is retired, is helping out on the ground. He says that they're finding Mongolians and Chechnyans and the Wagner Group, like dead in the streets. So what does it tell you if they're in action now? There was another draft of, uh, you know, April 1st, I guess, is draft day in, in Russia. How could a country that size be out of troops or are they? I think they're out, they're out of effective troops, and they're, they're scraping around looking for units that they think will perform better, like the Chechens and so forth. But it shows you that they do not have the wherewithal for a sustained offensive against the Ukrainians. What worries you most about leaving this job half done, where the Russians keep portions that they already had and maybe more, and we just leave it? Right. I, what's in our interest is stability in Europe and uh, – once Putin made the decision to do what he did, I think we have to bring this to resolution. We have to make sure that we don't leave behind us a wounded bear who, you know, will be constantly pawing at Europe and tie us up there because we have bigger fish to fry in the Far East with China. China is much more powerful and much more long-term threat than Russia. The good news is NATO understands the threat. We don't have to convince them anymore. Right. How do we make sure – I don't know anything about this new leader of Germany, for example. They've already taken 15 percent of their purchase of natural gas. They stopped Nord Stream 2, which is laudable. Now we have Poland and, and most of the Baltic nations. We're done with purchasing anything from Russia, including energy. You know what it's like to go to these events and talk to these other leaders. They, they don't – do you think we're past the point of convincing them that Russia is a threat and that we don't have a peace dividend to spend? I think they realize that at this point. And I think things are going to get more complicated because if it looks like Putin's going to be around, you're, you're going to have Finland and Sweden think about joining NATO. Would you let them? I would let those two countries. You know, they're sophisticated uh, countries. They don't have the same kind of corruption problems that they have in Eastern Europe. Well, the the issue was they were told not to. Right. And a nuke and one of these uh, war jets with a nuclear missile, evidently a nuclear armament. Uh, was flown over Sweden yeah, the over Russians, the last week. Yeah, the Russians have constantly been testing Sweden over the last 10 years, you know, in breaking their uh, their airspace and even naval. All right. Um, I wanted to get your sense of that. But you were there in Bush 41 when the wall came down and Russia was right. – what was your biggest fear then? Uh, I know it was ha- the feeling of happiness that the Soviet Union was, was breaking up. When you guys would, would close doors, would you – would you worry about anything? No. You know, at that point, there was uh, – I think the main concern was the durability of what came next. Would they have a stable government or would they descend into chaos and provide an opening for either an extreme right wing or an extreme left wing group to take power in Russia? Um, and uh, we watched you know, Putin consolidate his autocratic power there over the years. And uh, wasn't the same guy. They say it wasn't the same guy in the beginning. I want you to hear from Barack Obama. Uh, He weighed in on, they said, they asked him the question, would this be the same, is this same guy you dealt with? Cut six. I don't know that the person I knew is the same as the person who is now leading this charge. For him to bet the farm in this way, 
I'm not, I would not have necessarily predicted from him five years ago. Gary Kasparov yesterday, I was listening to a podcast with Megyn Kelly, famous chess player, activist, and said Barack Obama had the worst foreign policy in the history of the U.S. And the weakness that he showed, the apologies that he made, pulling those the missile shield out of Europe and not really coming with hard sanctions after the invasion in 2014 set the scene for this. Yeah, I think that's right. And also he hollowed out our military. Uh, I think President Trump rightly says that when he took office, we didn't even have enough ammunition for minor engagement anywhere in the world. We're running out of ammunition. Uh, so We're cannibalizing planes. Right, right. So he completely, you know, we were the undisputed only superpower when after the wall came down. And it didn't take us long to, you know, to screw that up. And I put most of the blame uh, on Obama. Right. Uh, and then in this president so far? Yeah. I mean, he's he's rolling back the progress we made under uh, President Trump. Trump restored the military and uh, was able to, uh, you know, stand fast with Iran and North Korea and the Chinese. I want to uh, pivot, if I can, to immigration and Title 42. Mm-hmm. What, why was that put in place? To make it uh, – well, because of, of uh, COVID, the, the idea was that, uh, you know, we could – quickly process and summarily process and send people across the board, back across the Pandemic, border. Pandemic, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. And 84% of you guys expelled 84% of your people. Mm-hmm. The With this in place, the Biden administration has expelled 55%, they claim, let alone the gotaways yeah. and people to get through. Yes. Now, here is a DHS uh, Secretary Mayorkas, um, Homeland Security Secretary, says this is why it's got to go away. Cut 15. It's very difficult to predict what that migration will be, but we are planning for different scenarios. We are then at the border, surging resources. What distinguishes us from the past uh, is the fact that we will not implement policies of cruelty that disregard our asylum laws. We are rebuilding a system that was entirely dismantled. But do you acknowledge you're likely going to see a surge? We very well could, and our job is to be prepared to address it. Yeah, well, that's that's very uh, uh, deceitful because uh, what President Trump did was, uh, by the weight in Mexico problem, he was enforcing the asylum laws. People could come and claim asylum, and it would be processed before they were allowed to come in the United States. The asylum laws were not meant to be sort of a... Uh, a world tour ticket where you can sort of go around the world and decide what country you want to end up with. The basis of asylum laws was if you're being persecuted uh, – Can prove it. And can prove it. You're allowed to run into the next country to get sanctuary, first one you come to essentially that will take you. And they have an obligation to take you if you can show you're persecuted. What's actually been happening is uh, all these economic refugees. Most of the world lives under our poverty level. And makes you know would make money being on welfare here. They'd be better off. And they come in and they're coached to say things like you know I'm persecuted and so forth. And then we release them into the United States and we never get them again. It's 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 a, a huge loophole that's been abused. And they are they know what they're doing. The the uh, uh, administration, the Biden administration. What about the put downs? As you said you. Uh, the way they – how he described the laws that were implemented, some of which were there before, 
right. uh, before you got there and, and most after. You went to the Central American countries. Right. That's where Bill Hemmer first caught up with you. I think it was right. your first interview on Fox. Right. Talking to William Barr, host, uh, the author of One Damn Thing After Another. Yeah. The way he's characterizing what you did is you feel as though it's deceitful, but is it, I know you don't take things personal. I've watched you in action. Yeah. But it, but it is offensive, isn't it? Well, it's, well, it's deeply offensive to the country. Uh, you know, this is an extremely costly endeavor to just open our borders and let people come. We've surrendered control of our border to the cartels, criminal organizations. And now not only people from Central America, but people from all over the world are now going into Mexico because they know they can walk across the border. Including Russians. Including Russians, you know, everybody. Chinese? Yeah. Ukrainians? And, uh, you know, potentially terrorists. And now, on average, as I said, just in Texas, from seven to 18,000, already 1.7 million have entered illegally in our country and are out. And now they get cell phones. Is that a deterrent? I'm not sure. No, that's, that's a well, magnet. I was teasing. The next <laughs> yeah, when, we, when, when we come back, William Barr will tell me if giving somebody a free cell phone and a ride anywhere in the country is a good deterrent. But I'm going to act like that's a good question. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So Title 42 is about to evaporate. And guess what? William Barr is here and his book is uh, still he's number five in the country. He wants to get it back to number one again, and I feel it's my responsibility. So come on, audience. We got this great audience. Uh, you know, huge uh, WABC here in New York. One damn thing after another. It's really insightful and talks more about just your years with Trump, but it was one damn thing after another. Uh, but Bill, they, they, there's five Democratic senators and six Republicans combining. Senator Cinema wrote it to stop the evaporation of Title 42 in May. Kind of weird. I mean, this yeah. is... Already we're seeing massive defections, also in the Iranian deal, but that's for, another, that's for next segment. Right. They also have some Democrats saying demanding to get a vote on this. What does that tell you? It's a, it's a big issue, and it rightfully is a big issue. I mean, they have, as, as I say, they've surrendered our border to the, the cartels. Um, and their policies are really designed to attract people to come into the country. Remember, when we had weight in Mexico, which they had no reason to stop. And a judge put back. Right. They had no reason to pull it down. That stopped people from even starting out. Right. Okay. Now, if they had valid claims, they would have waited in Mexico and been adjudicated and come in. But they didn't even start off on their trip once we had wait in Mexico because they knew they'd be adjudicated. uh, You know what else you convinced them to do? Put Marines on their southern border. Right. And they started screening them on their side. Right. What was it like dealing with those Central American uh, countries, the root of the problem? They were actually quite cooperative, uh, we, and, and uh, in fact, we entered into agreements with them where they would accept back. We were able to send back to various Central American countries the people who came up, not to the country they fled to, like a Salvadorian could be sent to, to an adjacent country like Guatemala. Uh, but uh, I found that they, they were willing to work with us on the problem. Are you are you amazed by a vice president saying this is basically too hard? How dare you give me this issue? Can you imagine Mike <laughs> Pence saying that about the pandemic? Mr. President, I'm not running the pandemic. We haven't had one in 100 years. It's not going well. Don't give it to me. Whatever you want to say about Mike Pence, the guy took every job handed to right. him. Right. That was outrageous. And, and it, you know, frankly, it's not a hard job in the sense that uh, 
you put up – what made it hard were the liberal judges who kept on trying to enjoin what Trump was doing. But once he won those cases, we stopped illegal immigration for all intents and purposes along the border. Would you have done the, uh, the, the family policy that Attorney General Sessions did where if they came over or you came over illegally, we're taking – putting the kids here and we're taking you? People have equated that to when you're drunk driving, they take your kids and put you in jail. Right. Would you have done that? Well, I think it was done quickly without enough planning and, and figuring out what the process would be. They didn't anticipate the problem of a bunch of kids building up that were in, you know, by themselves. <laughs> and so it was not planned very well, and that's, that's what got them into trouble. And now we have unaccompanied minors right. without that policy, right. but we don't get a chance to see them anymore. That's their answer to the question. Yep. And they end up being... Uh, groomed by MS-13 and put them out in the country. And back to Long Island, right, where we're located now. Uh, Bill Barr is going to come back and talk again. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So in 2020, you wrote, those who live outside the Fox News bubble do not, of course, need to learn any of the stuff about Hunter Biden, referring to his laptop, of course. Uh, a poll later after that found that if voters knew about the content of the laptop, 16% of Joe Biden voters would have acted differently. Now, of course, we know a few weeks ago the New York Times confirmed that the content is real. Do you think the media acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation? I mean, my, my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is I think it's totally irrelevant. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation or... I mean, I don't think the Hunter Biden's um, business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the United States. So I, I, didn't fi- I don't find it to be interesting. I mean, that, that would be my problem with the, that as a, as a major news story. The editor of The Atlantic at a seminar for University of Chicago students got that question from a freshman about the laptop... David Axelrod was doing the interview. William Barr, my uh, guest, one damn thing after another. I'm his. I'm warming up uh, William Barr to get ready to go on Gutfeld tonight, <laughs> and uh, so I'm trying to get you ready in the breaks and on air. But but uh, and I know this guy Hunter Biden's got to come up tonight. And can you believe an editor would say that? What does that have to do with running for for Joe Biden being the next president? Yeah, and and the irony is all the hand wringing about so called Russian interference. Yes, they they uh, released emails showing that there was uh, twenty sixteen right in twenty sixteen showing that there was a, a fight between Hillary and Bernie. You know, big news. That was the interference in the election, right? Embarrassing Hillary that way. This it, it was far more consequential than that. All the the media platforms and the mainstream media essentially agreeing to keep this out of the news and keep the American people ignorant of business deals, putting aside the issue of whether there was criminality, I'm not addressing that, but propriety, ethics, the, the, you know, cashing in on the office, potentially giving grounds for blackmail and so forth. of course, the American people were entitled to know about that before the election. And they say, well, it's disinformation. What about the 51 intel experts from Michael Hayden, served with the Republican administration, to Leon Panetta, some guy that comes off somewhat balanced, former Republican, former CIA director, to Mike Morrell, mm-hmm. all saying this is classic Russian disinformation. You never believed that. 
And why would 51 people put their, many very respected, put their name on, on a letter like that? Because they're political whores. And, and it was wrong for them even to put out a letter because they didn't know the facts. They had zero information. They did it as a political ploy to help Biden win the election. You put together cases, but it's all very similar to journalism. I got to find out what happened here. Right. So let me have, I would look at the emails and I'd say, I'd call them. Is this your email? Is, is, did you write this? Devin Archer, did you, is it, do you want to stand behind this email? Uh, who's the partner of Hunter Biden? Hunter, right. did you stand behind this email? Naomi is the daughter. An email from Hunter to Naomi. I hope you can do what I did and pay for everything for this family, for the entire family for 30 years. It's very hard. But don't worry. Unlike Pop, Joe, I won't ask you to give me half of your salary. Then Bob Alinsky comes out and says 10% of these international deals, some with these Chinese companies, went to the big guy, which is Joe Biden. You're a lawyer, legal expert, but if you're a journalist, why wouldn't you pursue those answers? One of the, the funniest things about this whole thing is the media saying, we're finally now able to authenticate it. That could have been authenticated within one or two hours. As you say, there are emails there. You call up people, even people who are tangential and say, "Was this? did you send this email? Yeah. And they'd say yes. And then it would start verifying that this was authentic. And that could have been done quickly. Less than 24 hours, they could have had a good idea whether it was authentic or not. How long did it take them? A year and a half. Yeah. Washington Post said we didn't have the cyber uh, the cyber teams in place to be able to look at this forensically and find out where it came from. Now we see it. Now, I mean, I, I, sometimes I feel in, I'm, I'm insulting your intelligence in asking these questions, but we saw this a year and a half ago at the very least of the story. And if I'm Hunter Biden, it's not my emails. Guys, not me in the picture smoking crack with hookers. Number two is not my emails, not my laptop. You know that sticker that said Bo Biden Foundation? Not my brother's foundation. But instead, he never answered the question. When, then he goes on a book tour and gets asked by a few comedians, and he basically says, I still don't know to this day if it's that. Yeah. Well, that was all lies, and Biden's statement during the debate was a, was a lie, uh, you know, suggesting it could be Russian, Russian disinformation. And the head of DNI, John Radcliffe at the time, put out a statement saying that there was no indication of Russian Disinformation. Just so you know, she so armed for Gutfeld later. This is the new development on in the New York Post. This guy Jack Jack Max, he was a partner to Steve Bannon, who got the uh, from Rudy. He got the hard drive from Rudy Giuliani. He has left the country, gone to Switzerland because they found deleted emails and images on the hard drive that they wanted to go to another country to bring forward. So if we got this and these weren't deleted, can you imagine what potentially could be on this laptop when it comes back and these. Deleted emails are dredged up. This story is not close to done, or is it? No, I don't. I don't think it's close to done. Uh, there's, there's probably more coming. If I was to ask you, what's the bigger scandal? The actual business dealings of the potential of President of the United States, former Vice President, of his family trading on his name, denying that they ever did, or the media cover-up of that so pervasive <laughs> that. Every the one outlet that had it, the Washington New York Post, had their social media uh, suspended, and anyone who retweeted, including the press secretary who you work with, Bill Barr, had while she was suffering from COVID, had her Twitter account suspended for retweeting a story. What is the bigger scandal, or are they equal? 
Well, one is relates to a specific situation. The other is, relates to a systemic corruption in the in the media, and they're both very serious problems. And for an editor to say, "Well, I didn't deem it relevant," I mean, the issue was it newsworthy? Of course, it was news, newsworthy. Whether it's relevant is for the American people to decide. But to keep facts, newsworthy facts, from people uh, on the grounds that you didn't deem it relevant, it was relevant. Okay, it just. Um I mean, I find it relatively intimidating to be in the news business. Not intimidating, wrong word. Still stunning to this day to be in the news business and then watch social media with that type of stranglehold. Leads me to believe that Elon Musk could really be a hero here. He has bought the majority share of Twitter, and now he's on the board. And one of the things he said has been very critical, almost like you or I, about what social media is doing and the way they slant to the left and they decide who to strangle and who not to. Uh, could this could could this be the beginning of change? Yes, I hope so. I mean, part of the part of the solution is to have people like Elon Musk, business people, go in and change the direction of some of these big companies. And I hope he does that. I was thrilled when I saw him do what he did. And also in my book, there's a chapter on on big tech and and what's necessary to cut them down to size. Do you want to give us an idea? Well, I think I think uh, there has to be – I don't think antitrust law enforcement is going to be able to deal with the problem in any reasonable time frame. I think they have to be broken up into constituent parts. How do you do that? Well, a company like uh, – Like Facebook. Like Facebook would have to that spin Instagram. off Instagram and Snap – not uh, Yeah, Snapchat, I think it has uh, Snapchat, doesn't it? Or does Google have Snapchat? Uh, there's another app. I slipped my mind. But uh, what's up? What's up? WhatsApp, uh, you know, they'd have to break off those uh, those companies that they bought over time and put them back out, uh, in, you know, independent entities. Also, I think we have to shift the ownership of the data to the people, to the individual consumer. They have to control their data, not the companies. Uh, that's another part of the solution. The other the other story that, that you put in process, and you said, "Hey, John Dorham, I, I want you to run this and find out what happened uh, with this whole Russia hoax, the Russia investigation, see where it leads you." And the one thing I took note of is how many people praised John Dorham, including uh, Eric Holder. So this guy's a pretty reputable guy, mm-hmm. and so right. I'm, I'm holding to that. We have those sound bites <laughs> sitting aside. Right. But as he moves forward, he's looking at Michael Sussman, and I flip the channels as soon as Sussman's indictment comes down, and they said, "Small potatoes, really? A, a lawyer out of nowhere? What's that mean?" Well, then it turns out that Michael Sussman, and there's even an email that shows this, that to James Baker at the CIA, at the FBI says, listen, I'd like to come down. I don't represent anybody. I'll just paraphrase. I'd like to come down and tell you about this really disturbing situation that, that's time sensitive. And what he said essentially was this Trump organization linked to Alpha Bank. So because the Trump Elvis is, is the Alpha Bank, he was concerned as a citizen. But in reality, he was working for Perkins Coie and who were representing the Hillary Clinton campaign, which basically bought the DNC because they were out of money thanks to Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. So he was representing them. So he seems to have planted some arrangements within the FBI. And next thing you know, he turns around and there's some thought that he talked to Slate and other media outlets and they gave him this story. Jake Sullivan, who was working for the Hillary Clinton camp, puts that in a missive. Maybe the strongest link yet between the Trump organization and Alpha Bank, which is a Russian-owned bank. That is retweeted by Hillary Clinton. What's right. going on here? Well, you know, as I say in my book, the more I found out about this, the more I became concerned that what was going on here was a classic campaign dirty trick where you give bogus and scurrilous information about your opponent to law enforcement in order to get them to investigate it and then you leak the fact that it's being investigated. 
And then journal, journalists can say, okay, well, we're not really saying it's true. We're just saying it's being investigated. That way you get out the information and you give it credibility because why else would the FBI be investigating? So this led to two questions, both of which I think Durham has been trying to run down, which is what were the motivations of the FBI who jumped on this when they knew that the information was coming from an opposing campaign? And second, was this in fact a, a dirty trick where the individuals knew that the information they were giving was false and were doing it in order to uh, leak it to the press and uh, affect the election? Do you know? Do you have a hunch? If the FBI was in on it or being duped like well, because else? I was involved in launching the investigation, I don't want to – Just between you and me. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for Connie Chung, didn't it? But, uh, so, so, yeah, yeah, right. I, is it true that I almost had him? I mean can we look at this tape again? I, you were you about mean at the to beginning? Answer. At the be- no, no, just oh, now. Just now. You were about to answer I think. <laughs> yeah. but, but that's my biggest question. And I, I don't know if this analogy works because did you ever watch Steve Martin in The Jerk? No. Okay, I know you're too busy. You're working in the White House. So Steve Martin plays a, like uh, a guy who's a moron, and someone's trying to kill him, and he's at a gas station, and wherever he ran, uh, the guy would miss and hit an oil can, and he just ran behind a window, and he'd hit another oil can, and then he went to the garage, and they hit another oil can. He keeps missing him. You know what he said? This guy hates oil. So, And I'm going, okay, he's a moron. So are you saying that is the FBI – Going every I'm keep getting a little more information. This guy hates oil, or as opposed to yeah, I hate Trump too. And uh, there's something here enough to let's let's gum up the works. Or I got a job to do. The president of the United States might be compromised by Russia. It is my patriotic duty to find out the truth. So I got to raid Roger Stone's house and I got to destroy a Paul Manafort and I got to uh, go into the lawyer for Donald Trump and I got to take all his records for the good of the country. That's my biggest question. And I'm a guy, as I famously say all the time, I get confused by James Bond movies. I always go, what's happening? What's that knowing look? I don't understand what's next. I don't really follow those mysteries. Murder, She Wrote, I could follow. It was slow enough. It was a Sunday night on at 8 o'clock. But most of this stuff I can't really follow. But as I'm sitting there going, are they patriotically going after somebody that they are convinced to their core is corrupt? Or are they doing something that they just want to destroy a Republican president who they might not personally like? That's the answer I'm looking for. Are you or am I – are you still looking for that answer? Personally, yes, I am looking for that answer and I think Durham is going to do a report. Whether he can give an answer that will uh, prove uh, accurate beyond a reasonable doubt and therefore do it in the context of a criminal prosecution, uh, I don't know. Uh, but that's a very tall order. But he could also write a report where people can judge for themselves from the facts what was going on there. Uh, I've already said publicly I didn't think there was adequate predicate to do what they did. Now, that could have been because – The FBI. Yeah, yeah. But there's two sets of players here. There's, there's the uh, FBI and what they did and uh, uh, there is the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign. And what they did knowing right. all along. And the theory is that when these emails got released and uh, who, who hacked them, it, it looks like John Podesta clicked on a link that allowed them to infiltrate his emails, and they released those emails through some type of cyber attack, and it got into the public mainstream. And to get to, to smother that, you create a firestorm with your opponent 
the Republican named Donald Trump and create some dicey business ties with Russia to try to overwhelm her emails that shows that she was acting at the very least haphazardly as secretary of state by using her personal devices and everything like that. Yeah, well, that's that, you know, that's the theory. That's a theory that's being advanced. But that the reason I uh, brought in Durham uh, was to answer the question that you laid out. Were the FBI acting in good faith because they really thought there was a threat? Was the Hillary Clinton campaign operatives really think there was a threat here and they were just being good citizens, you know, blowing the whistle on the threat? Or was this all part of a, a campaign dirty trick? And that's the question Durham has to answer. Lastly, mm-hmm. you know what it's like to be not nervous, as you would give it. When the doors close in Delaware and the White House, do you think there should be and is legitimate worry, judging by what you've seen so far with the Hunter Biden laptop and things like that and the possible business connections that we all know exist, Tony Bobulinski and others who come forward? And when the doors close in Hillary Clinton's house among the, his former officials, even Jake Sullivan, who was part of the Hillary Clinton campaign, do you think they're nervous that Dorm's getting close and that the media is getting close with Biden? Do you think you mean I, on, the, on, the hunter, your, your on Hunter laptop? Would you be nervous when those doors closed if that was you I, off of both, in both those situations? And, I, well, I, I think they're probably nervous uh, to have to have yeah. these investigate you know to have these investigations still grinding away. I think they're nervous. But again, there's a distinction between whether there's real criminal exposure or just whether the facts that will ultimately come out are just very embarrassing. But either way, I think they would be nervous. I would think so. Um, but yet Hillary Clinton's out, and I think she might even run again. Uh, Bill Barr, it's, uh, the name of the book is One Damn Thing After Another. Uh, we got to get this back to number one, and I think <laughs> he might bring a legal suit against me because I kind of promised off the record but I have, uh, with four microphones <laughs> that I would make him number one again. And we'll get you back on the weekend show, One Nation. Uh, but, Bill, congratulations. The book is really it's fascinating because you bring us through so many administrations with your career, but you would never – because you're so stone-faced and we have that game face on. I have no idea – America's going to get to see the sense of humor of William Barr. Are you concerned about that? You mean tonight on tonight, Death Yeah, on Death yeah I'm concerned about you're, that. You're concerned. Yeah. You're concerned. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> I, and he is laughing if you're watching on One Nation. One damn thing after another. Make it number one. Bill Barr, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It was just fantastic having William Barr here. you got to go pick up his book. It's so excellent. You know, he talks about everything from going into law school over at Columbia to watching the protest, how it affected him, the things he did at the CIA and how he wanted to uh, actually to go into intelligence. And then he was led uh, by some great mentors, including uh, Attorney General Thornburg, to the White House, to Bush. And Bush 41 said, that's my guy, uh, because they both had a CIA background. Changed his life forever, and then, of course, he helped Trump more than anybody else, in my view. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for being there, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, I'm going to do a simulcast on the Faulkner Focus with Heather uh, Faulkner, uh, Harris Faulkner in a matter of moments. And then we're going to talk to uh, Daniel Bialik. And uh, Daniel Bialik uh, is somebody really important that I think we've had on uh, before, former chief investment advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine, as well as head of the Ukraine Invest. They need money, they need supplies, and they need it right away. This whole war is changing. And before I get into I'll do the big three a little bit later or I'll outline the big three stories. We're talking about what's going on at the border. Uh, we're talking about bipartisan action there, bipartisan action on getting a vote on the Iran deal, should they sign one, and the Hunter hijinks. But first things first, number one story in the world remains Russia's invasion of Ukraine and how they're getting their ass kicked, but killing civilians along their way. Let's bring in Senator Tom Cotton. Senator, welcome back. Hey, Brian, it's good to be back on with you. On Armed Services Committee, do you have a shot at Senator, uh, uh, General Milley today? Uh, yeah, we just did. And, and actually, um, I followed up on some remarkable comments, Brian, of Senator Dick Blumenthal of Connecticut. Um, you know, Senator Blumenthal is a liberal Democrat, but he took Secretary Austin to task uh, for the slow pace of support to the Ukrainians, for the condescending way that uh, our government is telling Volodymyr Zelensky, what he does and does not need. You know, he doesn't need aircraft. He doesn't need uh, anti-ship missiles. Um, And just saying that we want to win there. And I I continued on that line of questioning with Secretary Austin. You know, in his written testimony, Brian, he used the word deter deterrence 29 times. He did not once use the word win or victory in reference to Ukraine. And I just said, why won't you say we want Ukraine to win? Like, we're not focused on trying to end this war. We're trying to give Vladimir Putin off ramps. We want Ukraine to win. And, and it's not just the Secretary of Defense, Brian. It's the Secretary of State and the National Security Advisor and the Vice President and, of course, President Biden himself. They will not commit to Ukrainian victory. They want to continue to try to control the escalation and dribble uh, out the aid and, again, condescendingly refuse to give uh, Ukraine some of the weapon systems that Ukraine says they need. Um, we need to commit to helping Ukraine win, and we do need to do it now. I thought that was a given, and it's amazing. You know, they were so free to say, yeah, that whole Afghanistan evacuation, that wasn't really my idea. I told the president what I wanted to do, but he told me what he, I should do. So I did it, and it all fell apart, and all my equipment's left there. What am I supposed to do? The generals, the secretary walked away from that horrible decision to leave those billions and billions of dollars of equipment in Afghanistan to the Taliban. Now— we're still at the decision process. And if they did have any courage, they would say, if I had my druthers, I would like to do more. But in the scheme of things, my role is fill in the blank. But are you saying that they seemed constrained by the body language and the words they were using? Because Mark Miller famously yeah. is the one who said Ukraine was going to fall in 72 hours. And then intelligence experts said probably 96 hours. And boy, were they wrong again. Well, although, Brian, I, I want to be fair to the Pentagon, I, I think this is coming from the very top. If, if you listen to Joe Biden's rhetoric and you watch his actions, you know, you cited, of course, the catastrophic retreat in Afghanistan in August. But there's a lot of actions that Joe Biden took over the course of the last year towards Russia that signaled to Vladimir Putin that President Biden didn't have what it takes to stand up to him. You know, he granted a extension of our only nuclear arms control treaty with Russia without any concessions whatsoever, something that President Trump had refused to do for four years. That was in the very first week of the administration. He uh, delayed arms shipments in advance of his summit last summer because he wanted to set a positive attitude at tone. 
throughout the fall, when it was clear what Vladimir Putin was doing on the borders of Ukraine, he refused to increase the size of our arms shipments to Ukraine or to expand them to include more of the arms that Ukraine needs. So unfortunately for a year, Joe Biden sent a signal to Vladimir Putin that he couldn't get away with his invasion of Ukraine. But it, con- it continues to this day. As I said, they're still denying certain kinds of weapons, Brian. But even today, the Secretary of Defense announced that they are about to give updated guidance to make it clear that our government can share intelligence with Ukraine that involves striking the territory that Russia had occupied in eastern Ukraine for the last eight years, which means, Brian, which means that for the first seven weeks of this war, it was not clear or it was prohibited that we were specifically restraining the Ukrainians from getting on offense in eastern Ukraine or in Crimea. Now, Brian, as someone who's planned a mission or two, I can tell you, you cannot win on defense. You have to be on offense. Yet again, the Biden administration showed they were more worried about Ukraine succeeding and retaking its own territory than they were um, about Ukraine actually being able to defend itself. Well, that's new news to me because I thought Ukraine came up with their own strategy and we decide how we're going to support it. We did not give them permission to hit Crimea or the Donbass region that it was taken so from that, them. So if we lost California secret- to Mexico, we need permission from NATO to take it back. The, sec- the, Secretary, the Secretary of Defense acknowledged today that new guidance had to be issued to make it clear that we can provide intelligence that supports offensive operations to retake for Ukraine, to retake Ukrainian territory that Russia has held unlawfully for the last eight years. That's just another example of the kind of half measures and caution that this administration has displayed for months in Ukraine. And it hasn't helped de-escalate the situation. It has only emboldened Vladimir Putin. As I frequently say, weakness is provocative. Well, we, we've, um, we've uh, you know, the U.S. and Europe have expelled 400 Russian diplomats. It's almost unprecedented. I think that's great. Uh, we have sanctioned and hit this bank called uh, Spurbank, which was, uh, holds one-third of Russia's total banking assets, and Alpha Bank, but the country's fourth-largest financial institute, which is fourth-largest financial institution. But energy transactions were exempt. Here's Janet Yellen saying why. Cut five. The issue with, with blocking oil, oil exports from Russia is that um, many countries, especially in Europe, are very dependent on that oil. And um, we're likely to see skyrocketing prices if we did put a complete ban on oil. And I just can't listen to her. She takes forever to say it. But basically she goes on to say that, you know, we don't want to put maximum pain on on America. Your thoughts on this? What would you do right now, Senator Cotton? So, um, Brian, this is another perfect example. We were talking about uh, restraints we've put on military support for Ukraine. Now it's the same kind of support, restraint on support for economic support. Uh, the Biden administration went out and crowed yesterday that they were going to uh, sanction those two banks, two of the biggest banks in Russia. Why were they not sanctioned two months ago? I don't know. Yeah. You know the, the administration is treating this war like it's a political campaign and that they want to sequence or stage this action or that action right. for maximum PR impact, I guess. We should have thrown the kitchen sink at Russia months ago. We certainly should have thrown the kitchen sink at them on February 24th. Brian, I've been in classified settings with all senators and administration officials and Democratic senators, not Republicans, but Democratic senators have demanded weeks ago why these banks weren't sanctioned. So it's even Democrats in the Congress have admonished this administration for being so weak and slow. You're the Ivy League grad. 
But I would take this opportunity to work with Democrats when you can and put pressure because Congress has done so much right here to force the president to do the right thing. You guys could help finish the job. Senator Cotton, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right. I'm going to get those sound bites. Senator Blumenthal, that would be great. Back, back in a moment. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're about to go on a, a simulcast with uh, Harris Faulkner, the Faulkner Focus. In, I don't know, any minute, uh, we'll share audiences with the number one news channel in all the world. And, of course, uh, we have the fastest-growing audience here, heard around the country, heard around the world. We have people writing us from other countries. Is that right, Allison? Yes, she's nodding because we're worried about making sure all the audio is right. But I have full confidence that we could actually do this. And technically, we'll, on, we'll be on, with, um, on Fox Nation, too, on three venues. So right now, uh, right now they're playing Jen Psaki trying to answer the question on Joe Biden writing an endorsement letter for a business associate of Hunter Biden's. That's for their kids. So let's listen together. New questions about the president's son, foreign business dealings. And it's not just Fox News. CBS News, Nora O'Donnell last night did quite the segment on it, and many others. Jen Psaki there refusing to explain why President Biden wrote a college recommendation letter for the son of one of Hunter's Chinese business associates. The president has repeatedly denied speaking with his son about his business dealings. But today's New York Post says otherwise. The headline, Father Knows Best. The Post, detailing a dozen times Joe Biden played a role in his son's businesses, and now the president's sister is cashing in on a book deal. <clears throat> Valerie Biden, Owens, will be releasing her memoir titled Growing Up Biden, a memoir. That comes out next Tuesday. Brian Kilmeade, co-host of Fox and Friends and host of One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Uh, Brian, I'll, I'll start with your initial response to some of the details that are breaking now. Another family member. Cashing in. No doubt about it. Uh, you have a book deal coming in with Joe Biden's sister, Hunter Biden, who had the audacity to release his book after his dad gets elected, knowing how many questions would come up from just normal everyday living like hey by the way was that your laptop and what is when did you learn to paint using a straw and how much crack did you actually do and were those naked pictures of you with hookers real or dancers or strippers i forgot how you exactly label them uh and all this stuff was out there he releases a book the daughter the sister releases a book and of course joe biden's brother jim is partners with hunter biden on various international deals that Joe Biden evidently knew nothing about. Harris, I don't know about you, but that's a lot not to talk about on Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas mm. and maybe Naomi's wedding in the next few weeks, who happens to be the daughter of Hunter Biden. But we, we, you have to, if I can quote Hillary Clinton, suspend disbelief to think for a second that Joe Biden didn't know at least in a macro level what was going on. And I bring you to a quote from the daughter uh, the Hunter's Biden's daughter, Naomi. This okay. is part of the email exchange, which thanks to Washington Post and New York Times, we now know it's real. So it's OK for me to read this. Uh-huh. I hope you can do what uh, what I did and pay for everything for this family. Hunter writes to his daughter, Naomi, for this entire family. I've done that for 30 years. It's really hard. But don't worry. Unlike Pop, who's the president, I won't ask you to give me half of your salary. I don't know. 
Does it seem to you like he knows something about his business deals? Well, it seems to me that his children implicated him in such a way that somebody's going to have to ask him about it. And with this grand jury that's been convened in, in one investigation, um, it seems almost impossible that they wouldn't want to talk with Joe Biden. Not just that email, but some of the other tie-ins, you know, that the reference to the big guy and the money that was flowing. Let's get to this. The New York Post reports that House Judiciary Committee Republicans are demanding that 51 former intelligence operatives divulge information about their 2020 statement that documents from Hunter Biden's laptop could be a Russian disinformation. A senior GOP aide told the Post the ex-spies should expect subpoenas next year if they fail to comply. The signatories included former CIA leadership under President's Obama and Bush. That's what I'm getting to. There are a lot of people they're going to be talking to now. That's what grand juries do. Yes. Leon Panetta, Mike Morrell, Mike Hayden, John Brennan, James Clapper, and 51 other people with impressive titles put their reputation on the line, in my humble opinion, and they had to use the logic in their training and put that aside to make sure Donald Trump wasn't elected. So if this is actually in there and there's things that show a business dealings with the former vice president, how do I Mm -hmm. stop it? Well, for the good of the country, I'm going to sign a letter that I can't possibly believe that this is classic Russian disinformation. How can it be? How about calling somebody on the email chain and saying, hey, is that you? Did you write Devin (laughs) Archer? Did you write Hunter Biden on uh, on April 11th, two years ago? And on well, that email chain, you could start authenticating. It said they put their reputations in the canister, in the dumpster. And they should, get, should be forced to answer those questions. Look, uh, you can look at the DOJ right now, and, and you can say special counsel. I know some on, on our team here at Fox, Mark Levin, have called for that, need a special counsel. And you can ask yourself which you trust more or less, the DOJ which is part of the Biden administration. Do you want somebody separate? And who else do you want to hear from? Because reporters are now, not just our network, but all over starting to sniff around. And that would be a Biden White House nightmare if they start to talk to some of these people, even before the investigation gets to them. It's all in the emails. All right, we'll move on. No wonder they de-stickered and did all that stuff and suspended some of us for trying to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop. I get it now. Like your co-host Kaylee McEnany and yeah. her, her email while she was suffering from COVID. She is the press secretary, retweeted the New York Post story and got yeah. her account suspended. Think about that. Yeah. And, and I saw so many. Right. Yeah. OK. Violent crime in New York City showing no signs of slowing down, despite the new mayor's promises to bring law and order back. The NYPD says major crimes are up by more than 36 percent compared with this time last year. Car thefts up. 60%. Shoplifting up a whopping 81%. All those Walgreens and pharmacies that are getting hit, hit, hit over and over by the same criminals they keep letting out here in New York City. And while murder is down, New Yorkers are still very upset over the killings of innocent bystanders, including the recent death of a 61 year old woman who was walking down the street when she unexpectedly was caught in crossfire between two fighting groups. Brian, it's not getting better in every category. Nothing's perfect. But where it is bad, it is dangerous. Well, if you talk to police officers, which I know you do, they say the reason is, it fundamentally is, they know there's going to be no penalty to pay for the crime committed. 
almost outside captured murder with the gun in your hand. People are getting out of prison quicker, and it takes forever to get them into prison, and they're almost released right away. So what, what is the ripple effect of that? Well, that means cops are not going to make an arrest or be very aggressive if they know people are going to be getting out, which even prompted the mayor of New York to go up and meet with the Democratic governor and others, as well as the police chief, at separate hmm. times and say, hey, listen, get rid of the no-cash bail. I know the intent. It's not working. I have the stats. The governor, the Democratic governor, is beginning to move. And my sense is if New York can move on this, the rest of the country will follow. Yes. You know what's stopping it? Democratic legislatures say, no, forget it. That's a non-starter. So until you, get, you, get, until you have to pay for your crime, don't expect the cops to make a ton of arrests because they know no one's got their back, let alone the cameras that look for any, any type of uh, altercation, ramification of mm -hmm. any type of interaction that could destroy their lives and their careers and end them up in jail. So I just it's think things will turn, Harris, when New York turns. Well, let's hope it's soon. And it's hard to get away from the word, oh, Democrats love this word, collusion between the liberal DAs. And now it would seem, I don't know, if you're a criminal, don't you love that DA? <laughs> Like, but, I, I mean, seriously. And then you talk about this Democratic legislature. They've got to fix this. You've got a commercial coming up. I, I have two sets of producers in my ear. Do I, really I know have, you're going to hit yours. Okay. Yeah, I got to let you well, go. I really, Come back anytime. We'll simulcast again. How do you know again. my format better than me? That's unbelievable, I, Harris. I, you know I my break structure better. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for having Thank me you, on. Brian. I'll see you in the hall. In focus in the future. All right. Uh, oh, when, when we come back, uh, we're going to be joined by Daniel Ballack. Uh, don't move. But we still have 30. It's, oh, I still have some more time? You are too funny with your break structure today. <laughs> right. Oh, I didn't, know, I didn't know how much time I oh, I yeah. still have 30. There's a okay, right Daniel Ballack's going to be with us. I'll put his put in there. He is the former chief investment advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine. I want to get his take on what the West is really doing and how some former military people are circumventing the system to get weapons to the Ukrainians who need them most. And then I'll end with your calls. 1-866-408-7669. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. In my career, which spanned almost 30 years, I've never seen, you know, expulsions in these numbers. So the Economist put a number of over 400 yesterday. And these are Russian intelligence officers who are posted in, in Europe. And it's extraordinary because for a long time, you know, particularly when I was overseeing operations for the CIA in, in Europe and Eurasia, we considered Europe as Russia's playground. You know, they operated in, almost with impunity. You know, whether it was election interference in multiple European states, whether it's assassination operations, both successful and unsuccessful, you know, the Russians, you know, had no bounds there. So this is a really important step because it's going to degrade the Russians' ability to conduct human intelligence operations. That's their ability to spot, assess, you know, develop, handle and recruit penetrations of Western countries. Now, they'll still have their illegal networks. Those are those uh, individuals not under official cover. But ultimately, this is a really good step, and I commend the Biden administration. I am quite confident that this was coordinated from Washington. Um, it's things we've done in the past, but certainly not on those numbers. Well, uh, there you go. That was CIA, a former CIA guy talking about the 400 expelled uh, ambassadors uh, around the country, for in West, uh, Russians expelled from Western countries. But that is not enough. They're not getting the weapons that they need inside Ukraine. They're not getting the defensive systems they need. They're not getting the tanks. They're not getting the planes. They're not getting the harpoons to blow up these ships from shore. 
Daniel uh, Bialik joins us now, former chief investment advisor to the prime minister of Ukraine. Uh, and he is now volunteering as a member of Ukraine's territorial defense forces. He calls us from Kiev. Daniel, welcome. Thanks for having me on your show. Daniel, I'm, I'm so glad to hear the Russians are out of Kiev. Do you think for good? Well, look, uh, if they if they tell you they're out for good, I wouldn't believe them because if their lips are moving, they're lying. And uh, no, I, I think that this is a I mean, we handed them their their butts uh, while they were here. Uh, we defeated them on the ground. They 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 have completely rethought their uh, their plans. They thought this was going to be a walk in the park and uh, in three days they'd be in Kiev and having having uh, their parade. Um, they have clearly uh, shown that they the Russian army cannot fight and doesn't want to fight. And so they're they're taking what they've got left and they're going to concentrate for the moment uh, on the east. And uh, if they uh, were to roll over the Ukrainian uh, army and defeat the Ukrainian army in the east, they'll be back to Kiev for sure. Putin, is, it, none of this makes sense uh, for Putin without Kiev. He, he doesn't need anything else. But yeah, he, do, he doesn't he want Crimea. And isn't that area, the Donbass, where most of the coal and iron is and oil? Well, they got they've got they've got lots of coal, iron, and, and oil. This is not an economic war. This is a some some weird mix of uh, Russian nationalism, p- imperialism, paranoia, and uh, and and whatever narcissist the personality disorder uh, uh, Putin has. And uh, for him, this is some sort of a mystical vision of uh, of, of of Russia coming into Ukraine. He, he, and this is the problem. Uh, he doesn't need Ukrainians here. He needs Ukraine. He needs the territory. And he's been very clear right from the beginning that uh, this is a war of annihilation and extermination. Uh, we, are, we are fighting for our very existence here. And uh, and this is why the, the, the absolute savage butchery that took place in Bucha and Borodyanka and and, and other villages around Kiev. And I can only imagine what's in Chernihiv and what awaits us in Mariupol. Uh, you know, the, the, these are, the, the, this, is, this is all just part of the way the, the Russians fight. And, uh, and, and this is just how they, how they, how they prosecute war. Um, you know, they, they, they will not try, they do not want to engage with our armed forces. But, you know, they are, they are, they are happy to slaughter uh, uh, babies, uh, women, old people, uh, 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 people with disabilities in wheelchairs. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, just beyond belief. So what are some of the things that you have seen? I heard they've killed mayors and their entire family, hands bound behind their back, children murdered. I know they're aiming at hospitals, theaters with 300 people in the basement when they clearly know it. But maybe the people listening right now should understand this is, this is Hitler and Stalin revisited, isn't it? A hundred percent. I mean, uh, the, the Russian army makes uh, the Nazis look like uh, 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 school crossing guards. I mean, uh, it, this is this this is this is this is right up there with the worst atrocities and exceeding them on a scale. Um, and, and remember, the, the the atrocities in the Second World War were not committed by the regular army, generally by the Wehrmacht. They were committed by the SS and, and, and their special troops and, 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 and such. And this is, this is the regular army. This is how they fight. But this is nothing new, Brian. They, they've been fighting like this since, uh, since the Middle Ages. This is exactly how Russia fights. And, and this is why we're, we need to have the weapons in the Donbass that we need, because they are going to bomb. They are going to use heavy artillery. They're going to bomb from the air. They're going to throw everything, all the ordnance that they can get their hands on at us, because their army can't fight. 
And so this is what they do is they pulverize, they, they, just, they just bomb you to, to smithereens until you, uh, uh, until you give up. And, you know, our army can fight. NATO has trained our army over the last eight years to perform in a highly professional and efficient manner. The entire country is absolutely determined to spit these orcs uh, out of the country and back to Mordor. And what we need is the, is the weaponry to do it. And NATO, and especially the United States, are the only, is the only force that can give it to us. You know, General Wesley Clark was on, uh, was on uh, another station the other night talking about the Donbass going to be the largest battle, epic battle, since the Second World War, what he called force on force. And, um, you know, if we, we can defeat these guys. That's the thing. We know we can win. We know we have all of these elements that I, that I mentioned and that we can win. And my big question to the United States and to NATO has been, what outcome do you want in this war? Are you going to continue to keep Ukraine on life support and say we're helping Ukraine defend its country? Well, okay, you can defend, meaning that they don't roll you over, but then you've got to get them out. And that's so, what we need right now. Daniel, I, I hear you from the outside. We have people on the ground that says you guys are just not getting the supplies they promised. You haven't even gotten the 100, uh, 100 uh, kamikaze drones that we promised. It's going to be devastating. It can hover over a target and blow up anything you want, go in a backpack. That would be great. But you need hundreds of them. We keep saying we're giving you javelins. We won't give you harpoons to blow up ships. It's maddening. And all you need, unlike the Iraqis and unlike the Afghanistan, we don't have to train you to fight. You've, you've learned that. So this was what's maddening is which was what I think you should find heartening is Democrats are as frustrated in some cases as Republicans. Daniel, uh, Senator Blumenthal of Connecticut, one asked Secretary of Defense Austin about an hour ago, followed up by Senator Cotton on the same line. Listen to what just took place uh, in Congress. Do you want Ukraine to win or do you want this war merely to end? I think uh, the chairman... Uh, pointed out uh, very accurately what uh, what a desired end state would be. Ukraine maintains its sovereignty uh, and its ability to protect uh, its its uh, its country, defend itself. Uh, it maintains its government. Uh, Russia is uh, is weakened militarily, and uh, Russia, from a geopolitical standpoint, uh, has uh, has you know is a, is a pariah, and uh, and you know countries will not uh, will not volunteer to uh, to align itself with Russia. Uh, some of that will happen, but it, we can see those kind of things beginning to happen. Is that the answer you're looking for? All of it except one really fundamental part, that Ukraine has all of its territory back and is sovereign over all of its territory. And that is, going, that is my definition of, of winning this war. And look, you know, we, we, if, we, if, if Putin is not defeated... In Ukraine, if he's not stopped in Ukraine, he's coming after Poland and the Baltics. He's no question. That, It'll take a while to rebuild, and, but he will. Well, absolutely. And, and it won't even take a while. He may just press on. They've got a lot of, you know, uh, grenade meat uh, that they're happy to use. Uh, you know, but the only way to get rid of Putin and stop this war is to and to restore, you know, restore Europe whole at peace and free, which is the United States overriding uh, policy objective, is to stop him in Ukraine. Otherwise, you are going to have 20 years of this going on. And NATO will get drawn in. NATO is already drawn in. This kind of stuff, like we're, we're on the sidelines, we're helping you out. 
NATO's already a participant. So is the United States. You're already at war because Putin thinks he's at war with you. And so this fear of escalation, all you're doing is telling, te is telegraphing to him what he already believes, that the West and the United States in particular are weak, that it's feckless, and it doesn't have the courage of its own convictions mm -hmm. to fight for democracy and freedom. And all you're doing by, te by telegraphing this, by taking things off the table, we're not going to send in troops, right? You know, maybe you won't. But you don't tell him that. Of course. You're enabling him. You're actually making World War III more predictable and, and, uh, than, uh, than, and that rather than preventing it. And so, you know, I, I, I'm, what worries me, Brian, is that if we don't get what, we're at, what President Zelensky is asking for right now, is we're going to have uh, the West fighting Putin down to the last Ukrainian. And, you know, if you don't have moral clarity around this, you're going to have moral culpability for the results. Listen, I, 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 I hear you. And of millions of Ukrainians are going to be on, on the hands of the Western government. So, Daniel uh, uh, Bilak's our, our guest. He's a chief investment advisor, but decided to put on the camouflage, now volunteering as a member of Ukraine's Territorial Defense Force. And, Daniel, I understand your frustration. I'm on the outside. I cannot believe the lack of commitment to saying, and not even from a selfish standpoint, from a Western standpoint, Ukraine wins. Putin is no longer a threat for 10 years, maybe no longer in power. He needs a devastating, humiliating uh, defeat. And you guys are the fighting force to do it. And every day that we wait, innocent women and children are killed. Ukrainian defense forces may or may not uh, pay the price. But for the most part, you want that fight, and they want to kill innocent people. So every day that we wait and say things like this could be a long war is saying we want more innocent people to die. Am I right or wrong? Every day that you say, uh, this is when I hear this could be years in the making. It, I mean, all that tells me, or it could be years uh, uh, prolonged, all that tells me is you're not prepared to do what you can do today to shorten this war. And that's where that moral culpability comes in. Look, you know, I, I was born and raised in Canada. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I grew up with a NATO that stood for freedom. And the United States was a force for good in the world. That's what I, I believed and that's what I still believe. And, you know, at the same time, Ukraine is giving the world, the Western world, the democratic countries of the world, a lesson in freedom. And that is freedom isn't free. There's a certain complacency, I think, both in my own country, perhaps in yours and in Europe, that somehow freedom is an entitlement. I agree. It's something you don't earn. It's something you don't defend. It's something you get and you, you get to play with. You know, you don't get to vaccinate yourself or, or, or something else. That's freedom. That's not freedom. This is what this is what freedom's all about. It's whether uh, am I going to be is it better for me to live on my feet or die on my feet than live on my knees? And, and that's the choice Ukrainians are making today. And that's what you're doing. And, uh, you know, as a finance guy to, to fight for grab a gun and learn how to use it, that shows how deep uh, the resolve you have and for your country. And that's why Zelensky speaking past lawmakers and to the people has motivated the world. He's got 75 percent approval rating around the world when no one could even identify him around the world prior to that, even as Germany and Switzerland taking action. I didn't think that was indeed possible. I want you to hear what Secretary Austin just said about helping you out in the Donbass region. Listen. Are you providing them intelligence to conduct such attacks? We are providing them intelligence to conduct operations in, uh, in, in the Donbass. That's correct. In the Donbass, on the territory that Russia or its proxies controlled before the invasion? 
Yeah. And we offensive, make, operation, offensive operations to reclaim their own territory. Are you providing that intelligence to We them? want to make sure that's clear to our, our force. And so the updated guidance is, it will, that goes out today, we'll make sure that that's, uh, uh, that's clear. Updated guidance. So that means that the current guidance has said don't provide that information. Well, certainly the current guidance was not clear in that regard, so we'll make sure it's clear. Is that, does that blow you away, Dan? Well, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what that means. but It uh, means that but, we, had no, you know we did not help you. We, our goal was not to help you take back the land that was taken yeah. from you in 2014. This, this, was, this was exactly my greatest fear, is that you know, you're going to fight this to the last Ukrainian, and let's just keep Ukraine on life support because we don't want to have a conflict. But as I said, you're in this conflict. Look, I don't know why NATO doesn't have warships in the Black Sea. That's international territorial waters. You have the Russians have stolen mines all along the Ukrainian shoreline. They're now floating in the Black Sea and onto the shores of NATO countries, Romania, Bulgaria, and Turkey. Why aren't American minesweepers as a NATO force in the Black Sea cleaning that up? You know, that's a sign to the Russians. Why aren't NATO doing exercises off the coast of Kaliningrad and in the Baltic Sea and in Syria? And I'm not making this up because I'm not smart enough and I'm not a military guy. This was General Hodges. Ben Hodges, former UCOM commander, uh, said this the other day. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, think that, I think that everybody's realized after Bucha and, uh, that, uh, that we, are, we are dealing with absolute pure evil here. And you cannot negotiate. This is not about getting them to the negotiating table, which I suspect was probably the plan. But I, I'd like to, Brian, just say one thing, um, because I, I've been kind of hard on, on the governments. I want to thank the American people for the support that they've shown. I mean, I've been just blown away. I, frankly, you know, it's what sustains me here. You know, I don't have my family with me. I'm, I have to move around. Um, you know, I made, I made choices. I'm, I'm not complaining. But, you know, when I, when I see the reports of, of Americans and Canadians and people in Europe uh, standing with Ukraine and, and pressuring their governments to do the right thing. That's what keeps Ukrainians going. And the governments have helped. I mean, we, we would not be in this game still. We would not be on the field if it wasn't for the support that we had. But you know what? Everybody needs to understand this is total war. This is total war. This I is not, you. you know, we're not, we're not going to leave at the halftime show. Yeah. You know, you've got to be prepared to go all the distance. And that's what America does best. We need shock and awe to help us in 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 the, in the Donbass to put these guys put these devils back in their place and you know what we can do it we haven't asked for troops on the ground I would love to have the 82nd Airborne which is in Poland protecting NATO right. uh, you know do do some do some work in Ukraine but we can win this and Dan need I, your help. I agree with it and our audience agrees with you and I, I'm going to keep bothering you to keep me updated on what's going on uh, and I give so much credit for a guy to to put down the calculator and pick up a rifle. Uh, pretty awesome. Worse, Brian. I'm a lawyer. Even worse. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Uh, it's even harder. Uh, Daniel uh, Bilek, thanks so much. Keep fighting. Okay. Cheers. God hey, bless. God all right. You. All right. You got it. Uh, thanks so much. When we come back. I'll get your thoughts on, on this exciting hour. This is Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The dentist in Wisconsin has been convicted of intentionally breaking his patient's teeth. 
so he could get paid to fix them, and he made millions of dollars doing this. This would be like if your therapist started every session by saying, saying that everybody hates you and you're a stupid little dork. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, that is crazy. I did not hear that story. That would be great for a more to know. I know it would be, and actually, but it was from the middle of March. How haven't we heard about that until now? Right. It's and, a horrible story. But by the way, horrible story, but how does that make a monologue? Usually it's like in the news, but I guess 1230 at night it's different. True, James and Corden. also maybe they were just working on that joke for two weeks until they found something that landed. Right. The other thing with James Corden, you know what he has set up? It looks like a radio show. So he sits at the desk because he never had an audience. He was trying to do something different during the pandemic. It's kind of it sucks. I, not, I like radio, but it just they don't seem to flow. The one guy's funny. The rest of them sometimes it's a little too much. Hey, make sure uh, you keep listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. And don't forget, Saturdays 8 and 11, uh, you have One Nation. It's a show like no other in the history of shows that are like no other. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.